The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Extreme Exposure, the power of personality marketing. Your host is Jackie McLennigan. In this program, we'll show you how to make your marketing plan work by helping you stand out and become a bigger player in your industry. Are you ready? Here's your host, Jackie McLennigan. Welcome. My name is Jackie McClanagan. I'm very excited to be here today with a good friend of mine and a very, very good marketer. I'm here with George Diaz, who owns a company called Larry Jacob International. And Larry is uh, one of those people that you meet online and then you meet in person and then you know that you have all of these circles and connections together with and you find out that this is somebody that you'd like to spend time with. And I think that that's a really interesting topic for today's show because internet marketing has taken so many people and put them you know behind their computers and they stopped interacting and they stopped the really understanding the benefits of networking so i'm happy you're here today george welcome to the show oh glad to be here thank you for having me and just to correct you slightly <laughs> the business is larry and jacob internet marketing oh and, uh, at some point we'll start the international <laughs> You're international. You're international because you're hearing people from all over the world are in something like 140 countries are listening to you right now. So. <laughs> oh, very cool. No, we, we do business in the UK, Australia, Dominican Republic. We have customers in Colombia, US, and your favorite place, Canada. Canada. So say one more time because I didn't mean to make a mistake on the company. I want to get that right. Larry Jacob Internet Marketing. Larry Jacob Internet Marketing. Now, one of the things you told me, George, is that um, you are a techie, tur- techie turn sales guy. And I really like that because um, I think you have a really interesting path and a really interesting story. So why don't you go on ahead and tell us what you do and what it means to be techie turn sales? Sure, sure. Um, I, I have a master's in computer science uh, back when computers had just been invented and kind of showing my age. <laughs> and, um, you know, I loved it. I came out of school um, tinkering with computers, understanding how they work was just fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of those kids that, uh, you know, wanted to be an astronaut whenever you asked. Him. <laughs> wasn't I gotta interrupt you. I, I actually legitimately have to interrupt you. I wanted to be an astronaut too. <laughs> And it's interesting, we're back back in my day, that was kind of unheard of because they were all, you know, uh, Air Force, um, you know, what do they call them, those flight flight experts, you know, uh, test pilots. Right. And um, the women hadn't kind of gotten in the military yet, so fortunately things have changed. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's my thing. Wow. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and then so so I went to, um, you know, years at you know a big um, computer place we were doing microcoding um, programming ATM machines wow I mean really when that was taking off this is in the 90s <laughs> and then um, late in the 90s I remember somebody who sat a couple doors down from me said hey George come over here look at this thing 
you know, the Clintons were up and uh, Al Gore was talking about the inter- information superhighway and all that. And, and I was always one of those guys that liked to chase after the next hottest thing. I never wanted to be behind the curve. Yeah. Just to keep my technical thrills going. But, you know, fast forward, uh, going forward, I got into the internet, um, worked with KPMG Consulting, doing a lot of consulting with huge companies on, on these psycho crazy projects that I would never have dreamed as a kid that I could work on. And I settled, not settled, but I eventually landed in a, an IT director role where I ran an IT department for, I mean, I won't mention the company, but you know, big company, they sell a lot of fast food across the world. And um, I remember looking at my boss's position and I go, you know what? I don't want his position. I don't want to become a CIO. Um, I mean, I, I was able to manage technical people. I still stayed somewhat technical, and I liked what I did. But when I looked at what he had to do, it, it just—I I just didn't. I, that's not what I wanted next for my career. Mm-hmm. So I started kind of thinking, what do I do next? And I jumped into sales, which you know, my talk to my wife about that. <laughs> Oh, great. That was a great idea uh, because it was financial suicide. I've never sold anything in my life, but I go, this is something I need to learn in order for me to ever make it big. And I remember I, I interviewed with a guy for a technical position and I go, why are you leaving this position? Because he was being, he was moving. I was jumping into his position and he says, I'm jumping into sales. And the reason I want to do that is because the CEO never comes out of IT. They always come out of sales, they come out of finance. Oh. Um, and I go, and that really wrong with me. I didn't, I got a job offer from them, I didn't take it, and I did take a job in sales. And it was really, his, his words of wisdom run so true with me. Mm-hmm. That ended up getting me into sales. I, I, I survived a year, you know, went through a ton of savings, 401k, all that great stuff. And I landed a position in marketing at one of my target customers. Oh, wow. They, they needed a project manager, marketing-ish guy who understood, you know, that the vendors that I would work had worked with. And that's how I kind of eased into that role. Wow. Um, not really being qualified necessarily as a marketing guy, but, you know, and from there, I, I, I really jumped in. I, I started doing a lot of event marketing. I understood technology. They were a tech firm. Mm-hmm. So I understood the language, the messaging. We started running um, events. We would do, you know, we did a couple of cross-country tours. Uh, you know, we'd go city by city where all the sales teams were, mm-hmm. and we we host events in the local markets for them. Um, and t- towards the end of my time there, we actually did one in Europe. So we did London, Brussels, and Amsterdam. Wow. Um, so um, it, it was big, and that's also what got me into then marketing automation because. We were doing a lot of this stuff manually, and I go, there's got to be a better way. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I love that because uh, a lot of people who listen to this show, they're small business owners, they're authors, coaches, speakers, and there are so many different moving parts. And I do have a lot of people on here who are, have a good tech background like you do. Um, but I think it's really important because the, with all of these different moving components, the tech can be a really big halt in promoting the events, in getting the speaking gigs, things like automation, the marketing, that's so important. And I always find that people who don't classify themselves as, you know, marketing guys or whatever, I think that the ones who land into these roles and and advance like you do, they do that because they can also use creativity with it. And I think that 
if you're doing marketing, you have to be creative because, <laughs> you know, as a former theater producer, sometimes you don't have money. So it's like, how can I get creative and get my message out there, right? Yeah, and how do you get yourself noticed? Yeah. Um, and, and your key there is to make sure you understand your, your audience. And, uh, the company I worked for used to sell to people like me. So I was in the other side. Yeah. Uh, so that that worked and then it's like well what would I do what kind of events would I do uh, what would I do I love that what yeah, would what I what sort of event what sort of messages you know would resound with me and, um, and you know and a lot of times we were selling to people that were also sales-ish mm-hmm. so and I had a huge let me tell you, after doing my, my uh, stints in sales I really had a huge appreciation for you know, what I call people who only eat what they kill. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. Um, I just want to circle back because you said something and I put a, an asterisk. I thought it was so great and it gave me goosebumps. But you said the CEO of a company always comes out of sales. Is that, that that's that tip that you gave, right? Yeah, it either always comes out of sales, finance. They don't come out of, you know, HR. They don't yeah. Come out of IT. Yeah. You know, they come out of the places that understand the business well enough you know, and, and again, no business is going anywhere if revenues are something. Exactly. They don't know how to manage your sales team, if they don't know how to generate leads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you don't know how to manage your money, those are the two critical areas that a CEO had better really have a good command of. Yeah. Um, I mean, understanding IT is important, but I, I don't think, I mean, maybe if you're in Silicon Valley and some other areas, uh, but uh, I mean, how many CIOs get to that CE? the CEO seats. Yeah, very few. I think that's really interesting too because in my mind, to be a really good salesperson, you have to be a people person. And so I I have this philosophy because I think sales and marketing are two different things, but they do go together a lot. Do you kind of agree with that? Or what's your take on sales and marketing as two separate entities? Or do you think they're one and the same? (laughs) Well, marketing is the lead generation, it's the branding, it's how how do I get people to recognize what it is that I do? Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's an awareness step in the sales process. Sales though is, okay, I've got someone who's shown some interest, how do I get them converted? How do Mm -hmm. I close it? Right. Uh, I I do see them as two different, um, you know, two different disciplines. It's hard to find good salespeople who understand marketing or who would like marketing enough to do it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and typically marketing guys, and now this is like, you know, bigger companies where, where you have separate organizations, you, you know, they're typically kind of um, organizations that unfortunately are at odds with each other sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the marketing guys are, you know, wanting to do something maybe a little too creative. The sales guys don't appreciate what that might be. Uh, but the, the, the best organizations are the ones where the marketing guys and sales guys work hand in hand, mm-hmm. you know, where there's a good feedback loop and it's kind of like, you know, whenever someone responds to that campaign or that message, I have an easier time selling or I have an easier time closing. Yeah. And oh, by the way, this one over here, we get a lot of phone calls, but they're not qualified or, yeah. you know, they're, they're not the right kind of lead, so it's hard. And if you can get this, the marketing guys to appreciate that feedback from you know, the sales guys, as opposed to thinking of them as underlings that are subservient, yeah. uh, you, you have a form of success. 
I love that. And, and a lot of people who are listening to this, uh, they have to take on a lot of different hats. You know, small business owners, sometimes they are the CEO, they are the marketing director, they are the salesperson. And so it becomes a, a, a major challenge for people. And I think that a lot of what your company does is help streamline that with the automation. Is that something that you help people with? Or tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, well, we... we we have two focuses. One is we'll do the full implementations in an automation campaign. Mm-hmm. So that's going to include making sure that you have, um, it, you know, that what your process is is automated, and you know that includes you know building landing pages for people, connecting mm-hmm. them up with Infusionsoft campaigns, mm-hmm. um, and you know doing the, the the e-commerce transactions and making sure that's there. But that whole thing is an exercise in futility. If your messaging, if your understanding, if, for example, if I have a Facebook campaign and I'm blasting a ton of traffic at it and nobody opts in, well, yeah. you know, boy, we just automated something that's not getting you anywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's also the discipline for A-B testing so that you can compare your numbers. Um, you know, what are the messages that really, and that, you know, people are enamored with and it's kind of like, yeah, I'll be my email address. Yeah. I'll do it. I know that I'm giving you permission to mail me, but I want to hear what you have to say, right? So that's Absolutely. that's really important. I love that a lot. Um, talk to us a little bit about the process of uh, putting together events. I know a lot of the people who are listening here, they, they do their own events or they're trying to um, speak at events. What was your process, process for doing that? Yeah, so we... We we had we had an interesting approach. So we we would land in I mean I just pick a city. We'd be San Jose, California, San Diego, uh, could be we we one in New York City, we did them in Boston. We did a twenty a twenty city event in thirty days. So I mean basically living on a plane in a hotel room wow. like a month and a half. And so our our goal was okay, we needed to get thirty to forty butts in seats. Okay. And and preferably qualified ones right yeah so so we we educated the sales teams you know there locally because ideally what we wanted was for them to bring customers they already want new you know so that you know you had some real live ones in the room uh, then what we did is we had uh, email campaigns going out to um, CTOs you know chief technology officers uh, directors of IT because this was our buyer. We were selling disaster recovery solutions and backup and restore solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, w- we would email those folks and we would also have call-out campaigns. So we'd have, mostly, you only needed one person, but if you had a list of maybe like 200, 300 people that you were targeting for your event in hopes of getting, you know, the 30 or 40, um, they would come up and say, you know, it would be a script. Hey, just want to let you know, uh, we've been sending you out an email. We'd really like to have you join us for this event. Uh, you know, we do them at, you know, Capitol Grill, Morton's, um, Ruth Chris, you know, kind of mm-hmm. the high-end steakhouses that have demographics that are perfect Yeah. Um, for the folks. So we would do lunch events typically. Sometimes we would do evening events. Yeah. Um, and then it was a, basically a three-week campaign. You know, we would email them three times. Um, then we would intersperse the, um, the, the call-outs. In, in, in between those okay and as soon as anybody opted in so they would they would sign up online we were actually using Infusionsoft for that mm-hmm. uh, I mean we don't have to bug them anymore now we started bugging them reminding them to attend right getting them getting the, the follow up right 
Yeah. Well, I tell you what, live events are much easier, I think, to, to, once people commit to going, it's kind of like they put it in their calendar, something may come up, but it's not like a webinar where people will go, well, you know, I got too much email today, I'm not going to go. Yeah. Um, and then um, one thing we found that was really uh, valuable is we would purposely schedule webinar equivalents of the same, because we were running the same exact event in all the cities. Now we would run a webinar in parallel with it. So oh, whoa. What, what, so what do you mean you'd run you'd run a webinar of the exact same content that you'd be presenting at the event? Exactly. Ah. We make it available online on specific dates. Oh. So that it gave you another so if 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 a person was calling you and they say, Hey, we're coming to your town and it's gonna be October seventeenth, you could come up and say, Well, if you can't make it the seventeenth, you know that we're having an online one the nineteenth. Can you make that one? Oh so it made your calling um similar and it didn't it and you know since we were running these really on a tight schedule you could use the same webinar to hit the guy in new york san diego and san francisco yeah yeah wow oh that's interesting so that was all just to kind of i mean get them there and uh then let the sales guys take over and close the deal kind of thing right yeah, yeah. at that point it was you know it was an educational we weren't pitching them anything yeah uh, we were explaining these things um sometimes we would bring in someone from Forrester mm -hmm. who would um, talk about, they wouldn't talk about us being the experts, but they would talk about the trend that we were fulfilling, mm -hmm. um, you know, that it was the direction people were using cloud-based disaster recovery and we were a cloud provider in that space. Yeah, wow. Um, so they were kind of validating us as, um, you know, a provider doing the right kind of thing and a trend that they could feel safe following yeah. versus doing like your backup and disaster recovery yourself or like doing an Iron Mountain, let me forklift everything and pray that I can get this whole IT department back up and running in a foreign city in a place that I need to recognize. Right. Oh, that's um, really so interesting. That was, that was the market that we kind of played into. Cool. I love that. Um, so we're going to just take a quick little break here. And when we come back, we're going to learn some more about how your process for um, marketing events, closing deals, and how to network like a pro. So we'll be right back with George Diaz. If you're just tuning in now, I'm here with George Diaz, and he is an internet marketing guru, a good friend of mine. He is an expert networker, if you ask me. That's my personal shout out to him. And we were just talking about uh, the fact that George did a 20-city event in 30 days using all kinds of different techniques that he's sharing with us right now. So to recap, I think it's really interesting, George, you needed to get 30 or 40 qualified people into these rooms in 20 different cities, which is a lot. <laughs> and um, I liked how you were talking about getting the sales guys to uh, potentially drum up some leads to put in the rooms because that those are hot and qualified leads. Um, did you have a, was that a good process? Did you find that the sales guys um, found that an easy thing to do? You know, it, it, it varied. It really depended upon their commitment, um, you know, to our solution, our products. We had... We had great success in some cities. We had one city where like seven people show up. <laughs> and um, yeah, part of it was just the demographics. And I, I don't think we just had the, it was, they, they can't all be home runs. Yeah, they can't, yeah. Uh, but I'm saying we, we had one in, in some cities that had 50, 60 people. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the, the sale, if you can get the sales guys committed, and a lot of our pre-work ended up, uh, either meeting in person or meeting ahead of time, you know, remotely with uh, the sales teams so that they understood what we were doing. They were bought in. Yeah. Uh, supporting them. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, you know, and this is where I was talking before about the relationship between marketing and sales. Um, you can't pretend to know what your sales guys are thinking just because you've done market analysis and things like that. You've really got to get into their seats. Uh, these are guys, I mean, I have the utmost respect for salespeople. I mean, I'm in sales now, otherwise our business wouldn't be going anywhere. <laughs> uh, but, you know, these are people that are motivated by, you know, not just the money, but the challenge of getting someone over to your side. You know, it's, it's that thinking. And uh, if a sales guy, first of all, believes in the product, uh, believes that you're really looking to promote the product in a way that they, they see as effective, then um, you know, you've got a good marriage between the two disciplines. Now they're more than happy to go to that customer who is their person, you know? Yeah. Someone that they, they've had a long relationship with. It's one that they've struggled to develop that relationship with. Um, their biggest fear is gonna be, oh, this marketing guy's gonna put this flop of an event and I'm gonna be embarrassed in front of my customers. And um, well, that's just, they're probably more fearful of that than the person not showing up. Wow, uh, wow. They sold, they sold their whole self, hey, this event on this is going to be great. Now, the customer might come up and say, you know what, we don't have any disaster recovery or, you know, we don't have any initiatives on that, so I don't think it's well worth my time. Uh, but, you know, it's like, you know what, that's not an interest to us, but, you know, I, I think it'd be worthwhile to learn something. Yeah. You know, so the sales guy still sees it as a relationship development Tool, mm -hmm. uh, and it's you know it's a reason to call them versus hey you got an order for me, mm -hmm. uh, and then they can become more of an advisor versus just uh, you know the guy who's you know pushing equipment. Yeah, and you know I, I think that's important to to point out too because I run a lot of events and a lot of the relationships I build with people they haven't even attended the event. It was maybe I'm going to come, there's some correspondence going back and forth, they start to look at your website. You know, that relationship gets developed whether or not they're even attending the event. But you're right, you do have to put on a good good event so that you don't <laughs> end the relationship suddenly. Suddenly. That's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I think the sales guys don't always see or appreciate that, but uh, doing an event and having someone tell you they can't attend, but maybe chatting with you on the phone mm -hmm. is not a bad thing. Nope. Um, you know, it could be the timing is not right. It could be that, you know, that's not a topic that's relevant right now. My priorities, you know, aren't aligned with, with that. Uh, but there's someone that said, ah, you know, there's someone I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. um, and the consistent follow-up over time is key. Yeah, and, and then you're not starting from scratch next time you attend that, or you, you're putting on an event in that city because now you have a person who maybe they for some reason couldn't come and now they can. So it's all sort of that prospecting as far as I'm concerned. Um, I like too that you have, after you, you had this process of getting the sales guys out, and if you're, a, if you're a speaker or you're a small business owner that doesn't have a sales team per se, you can still use the same process that you're talking about here with affiliates. And a couple of the key things that I heard you say was, uh, you know, affiliates are nothing more than people who are selling for you. They're your sales team. But a lot of people fall down because they don't give them the support that they need to get them to buy into what you're offering, right? So what do you, do you have any sort of a, a take, just before we close this loop, uh, a take on affiliates and the affiliate process? Sure, sure. Uh, when you think about it, an affiliate is someone who's, looking to make additional money from their list, from their relationship with the people they know. 
So they're, you know, they're like any salesperson. It's kind of like, there are many options I could take. Are you going to give me something that's worth my while? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, there's a, a program. As a matter of fact, I, I hosted this lady on one of my programs. She recommends a $2,000 price point mm-hmm. for a product with 1000 of that going to the affiliate. Mm-hmm. And the reason you, you put so much money, now you have to understand lifetime value of your customer, where a $2,000 sale is not going to be it. But if someone is an affiliate and they're, and they're looking, okay, I can make $1,000 and all I have to do is sell one, that's not a bad deal. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just think, if I have a list of 20,000 people that are tight with me and this might be something they would buy, uh, you know, you get two, three, four, five people. You just made yourself $5,000. Yeah. You know, emailing a list. I know. So, um, so um, you know, that's definitely something to consider. Now, the science of getting um, affiliates fired up to support you, you know, is, is work. You know, <laughs> better make... Better make the email copy like readily available. Yeah. Um, you know, you better have links that are super easy to use uh, because otherwise they'll come up and they'll go, oh, this is too much work. Yeah. I'm glad you, you pointed that out because I did know a woman who had a $2,000 uh, product. She did pay $1,000 to her affiliates. She had all of the, the right things in place, but what she did wrong was she couldn't get her affiliates fired up and she didn't. she did that she didn't do that because she didn't have any copy, like what you're saying. So I was going to point that out. People will snuff their nose at doing that. It's an easy thing to write a quick email, but you li- really have to support them. You really have to give all of that tools, the sales tools. Don't expect other people to do that for you. No, no I, I want to, if someone comes up and they're giving me a thought, here are a set of five emails. Here's the dates when you send them out. Uh, and if someone looks like they've done that much study, now, of course, they're as motivated as I am to sell these things, you would think, right? Yeah. So if, if they're, I would think, I mean, I would look at an email written by someone else to promote their product, and if I look at it and I go, this looks pretty good, am I really going to second-guess their messaging? Mm-hmm. You assume they've tested it and it works, uh, and then you go with it. Yeah. Versus someone come up and say, hey, we're selling this product, here's a headline, uh, put together a quick email. Well, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it more difficult, which led us into that next piece that you you were doing with your event marketing that worked really well, was that uh, series of email campaigns. So you have a series of, and this is nothing more than automation, but what I liked that you said was that you were sending them out to your exact target market. And so how did you go about determining exactly who these emails would be best for? And talk a little bit about your testing process. Yeah, well, we... um we were targeting very specific job titles within large companies. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of sources for getting data like that. Okay. Um, now, you have to be careful because it could be considered spamming. <laughs> the Infusionsoft is not the ideal tool to do <gasps> Yeah. Um, so you do have to be careful. But what, what we found over time is that IT folks are used to receiving information about IT-related products. So, and, and it's, a mark, it, it, it's an audience that's pretty accepting of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm coming up and I'm trying to sell you over the head. I'm saying, hey, I'm gonna invite you to you know, a Morton's lunch 
Um, and we're going to be presenting on a cool topic. So some people will go just for the food. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, what happened towards the end of my career is time was more important than lunch. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I want to go there. Uh, yeah, the food will be good, but that topic is one that I've been wanting to learn about anyway. Yeah. So I might as well learn it in an audience. And sometimes you go just because of the other people that are there. Yeah, the networking. Um, I go, Does this make sense to you? It's like, yeah, you know, we've tried something like this, but never the way he's describing it. So the camaraderie among the people is valuable too. Yeah. So how, so what did you what were what was the process like when they would reach out were they talking to people that they'd already uh, who'd committed to coming was it people that they were trying to woo into coming who what was that all about the sales guys the uh, no the call out campaign that you were doing oh the call out campaign yeah. used the same list that we had emailed to oh okay and so we would send out an email and would set these people to call either one or two days later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the opening line was, hey, I'm, I'm following up on an email I sent you a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we had scripts to get past, you know, gatekeepers, you know, admins and stuff. It's like, hey, we sent them an invitation for lunch at Morton's for next Wednesday. I wanted to confirm with them. Yeah. You know, so there were different ways to kind of get past the gatekeepers and get right to the person. We also had really good messages to leave on their voicemails. Oh, nice. Um, we sometimes found that the voicemail was actually a better place to leave the message than, than actually talking to them. Mm-hmm. When you talk to them, sometimes they're going, who are you? Do I know you? Where if you leave a message, introduce yourself, it's kind of like, oh, I think I did see an email. About <laughs> yeah. Or they can go and say, well, forget it. I don't care. Right. Uh, but uh, but that, that process actually worked pretty well. And then... Uh, the day before the event, we would call everybody who was registered. Um, hey, just want to make sure we're trying to get a final. Mm-hmm. And we made it sound like if you know, if you don't come, it's going to cost us. Yeah. You know, very politely. So you try to kind of throw a little bit of guilt out. <laughs> but it will cost you. I mean, I, I've run events, and and it would have cost you the food for sure. So I mean, it's a good practice. Yeah. We have a relationship with some of these major dining places, and it's kind of like, hey, look, can you can you make this look? based on the fact that we're going across, you know, 10 of your restaurants. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I love but that. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you, you've got to commit to something. Yeah. I think that's amazing. So uh, you said that this was approximately a three-week three week campaign that you'd send the, you'd do this? Is that kind of... Yeah. Now, now, this is going back four or five years. So, you know, things may have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I don't see that many invitations for live events anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe by a local chamber, stuff like that, but not by the vendors. Yeah. And I'm, I still should be on those lists. I'm just not seeing people do these as much. Uh, but, but our formula was, uh, you know, if you were doing an event, we usually did an event Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursdays. We never did it Mondays or Fridays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we, we would start exactly three weeks ahead of time. Nice. Then we, then we would change it to, you know, then we would do it the next. So it would be like three Wednesdays in a row leading up to the event. Love it. We're going to take a quick break. Oh, <laughs> right on. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk some more with George and we'll see you in just a minute. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm here with George Diaz of Larry Jacobs, Internet, Larry Jacob Internet Marketing. <laughs> I got that right this time, didn't I? <laughs> 
been, I've been called much worse. He's been called much worse. And uh, Larry was just talking about his process for using um, the live component and automation in filling events and uh, making sales. But now I wanted to talk to you about something that's really interesting because I've seen you do this as a person and I know you know the value of getting your face out from behind the computer and into a group of people and you do this through networking and masterminds and attending conferences. Why do you think, George, that this is so important and how do you use this in your business? Well, we, uh, I mean, you're referring to a couple things. I do a lot of uh, video, uh, my pictures on our website. I've got to update all my pictures because they're getting a little too old. <laughs> um, and, and then there's networking. Mm-hmm. So I've, um, I mean, I've been a long-time member of the Miami, the Great Miami Chamber of Commerce, which is either the third or the fourth largest chamber in the country. And, um, you know, building a name for yourself. I, I, I've been a member of the chamber under three different companies. And it's interesting, I still have people approach me now saying, oh, don't you still do that backup and restore stuff? And I go, <laughs> but what they remember is George. They remember me. They don't, you know, people don't do business with companies. They do business with people. Yeah. And it happens to be that two of my brothers are, have also been longtime members of the same chambers. So they call us, you know, the Diaz brothers. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's part of the branding, you know. People remember, you know, these guys are, you know, legit. George has been the, you know, the chair of the nonprofit committee and the technology committee. Uh, my brother Jose has been chair of the small business committee at different periods of time. And, you know, they're reliable people. You know, they fulfill their commitments. You know, they're not fly-by-nights. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, they're kind of a little bit of fun, too. <laughs> so that's part of the brand, you know? Yeah. And um, and so, um, you know, that's definitely part of what you do in the, uh, you know, the face-to-face networking. And what I'm doing now is, you know, as part of this business is extending that into my online audience, which in this case just happens to be very disjointed because... Um, now, interestingly enough, I do business all across the world, and it's it, my my networking is you know just online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know it's funny too because there's a lot of people, and I'll tell a quick story here. There's a lot of people who think that they don't want to give too much away, especially if you're a speaker. They don't want to give too much of the presentation away online because they think that what are people going to come and see when they come and see me speak or when I meet them in real life. And a personal example was there was an event that I was invited to attend and I the first thing that anybody does if they're in, they're going to attend an event is they're going to google it the company the speaker whatever's going on like do I want to spend my time going to this and the man had uh, I googled him and he had his presentation online and almost the entire presentation and it sucked me into it and I watched probably a good part of an hour of him talking and I thought yeah, you know what, I will go to that presentation. And I knew that he was going to do the same one, but I wanted to see it live now. And people are afraid that we're going to wear out uh, the novelty. But instead, seeing you on videos, seeing you in real life, that just further solidifies the fact that people want to do business with you or hire you as a speaker, right? Would you agree? (laughs) Right, right. And it it depends on, I mean, if the only thing you do is speaking, Mm -hmm. I I guess you're, you're kind of walking a fine line. Yeah, uh, because other people, it's like, well, why would I hire you to give you my presentation here if, if you know, you gave it at the other? Place? Yeah. But if if speaking is part of your marketing and you have a consulting practice and you have uh, maybe a leverage online business, mm-hmm. uh, it's all part of the same thing. Um, I, I know that if I was a speaker that commanded you know thousands of dollars for face face to face meetings, 
I would see that as a great way to market the rest of my business mm-hmm. uh, because there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many flights I can take. You know, yeah. 365 days of the year. And uh, I mean, I'm a little older in life. I don't have little kids, so I'm not worried about being away from home so much. But uh, you, we, nobody is limited by money. Everybody's limited by time. Yeah, that's true. So if you can use your speaking as a way to promote yourself and see it as that, um, you know, assuming it pays for itself and it still provides additional income, there's so much more money you can make behind by, you know, selling, selling, you know, other services, selling online programs. Um, if someone has seen you on stage and you have, I mean, first of all, you sound credible, you know, your message is positive, and they need what you have, mm-hmm. you have made yourself a monopoly of one. Yeah. Because anybody else that does exactly what you do didn't have that face time. And there's something about listening to a really good speaker there, you're going, man, if his material or if his training or is his additional products are as good as what I've seen on stage, yeah. you know, I want to be part of this. Yeah. And you know, here's the dream. This is what everybody thinks happens. And I'm going to shatter some illusions for some speakers out there right now. They think, I just, here it is right now. They, they get out there and they think, I want to be a speaker. So, I mean, I have a great personality. I, I've had, you know, maybe this experience. I have these anecdotes. People should hire me to come to their events and be a speaker. And the truth of the matter is all of the big guys that are out there who are getting paid $50,000 to be on stage they all have back-end products and services they all have something that they've done if if it's like maybe it's just simply just (laughs) climb mount everest for an example those guys maybe they've they've had some sponsorship or there was another form of revenue that was driving this speaking versus just you don't waltz on stage you don't start getting paid fifty thousand dollars for magical words (laughs) you know you actually have to have some substance as a company so great speakers have great companies And that's a lot of things that people are missing where they think maybe I'll just sell my retreat or maybe I'll just sell my, and I do a lot of retreats and you should come to mine, (laughs) but uh, that's not the the whole package, right? You have to... You, you, you can't make it just on the front end of an event. And, and you have to have that name behind you. So that was my myth buster. <laughs> no, and, and, and again, the, the, when you think about it, you're looking at the guy that's making $50,000 on stage today. Yeah. But how did they start? It's kind of like, you know, you've got a good story. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah. You know, in front of the chamber. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, there's some organizations that are looking for speakers every single day. Mm-hmm. And getting up in front of an audience for free I mean, it's not a piece of cake, but it's pretty easy. Yeah. Then you go, you know, that really resonated. Oh, look, I was able to close some business because of what I said. And then it kind of evolves. You know, it's a little bit, you know, we spoke about this a little bit like blogging, where if someone says, hey, should I start blogging? And I go, well, first of all, if you like it, just do it. Because it can be a refining learning process that doesn't look anything, you know, six months down the line as it did when you started. Yeah. But now you've honed a message, you've honed an audience, Ugh. you know, and you've learned. And, and a lot of these, you know, speakers that are there today, I'm sure if you heard about their story when they started, it was like I was desperate. There was no way I was going to make the mortgage this Yeah. Month. And um. I, I, you know, someone paid me 200 bucks to get in front of a bunch of people and talk. Yeah. And, and it was an opportunity to make some money. It's like, hey, I'm pretty good at this. And then, you know, yeah. got some momentum behind it. Ah, 
so many things. My mind's going to go on a tangent here just because you said some stuff. And one of the things that you said was when somebody asked you if you should start a blog, uh, I love writing. Writing is my passion. And um, I was asked recently by somebody, they said, well, does all of your... like, uh, does everything you write have a purpose? And I said, some of it is driving uh, sales and some of it is directly towards my business, but some of it feeds my soul. <laughs> and and that answer was very hard for somebody thinking in a very linear uh, path to accept because they're like, well, so it doesn't have a purpose. And I'm like, no, it actually does. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. I started in April. I was on a spiritual low. Uh, I'm, I'm a religious person, I'm a spiritual person, and I was, I mean, you get so involved in your business, and things go so nuts, and I go, I'm going to commit to writing every morning, because journaling in the past has just been great for me, mm-hmm. but I'm going to journal to the entrepreneur audience, yeah. the struggles we face for, worry, uh, dealing with cash flow, you know, all the stuff that we worry about, right? And I started, it was one of 100. And I go, I'm going to do this for 100 days. Now, I hit 50. Yeah. But it wasn't very purposeful. It did drive a ton of traffic to my website. And it's now something I, I mean, my website's at LarryJacob.com. This is at ownersheadlamp.com. But now we're about to launch another campaign. And I'm thinking of using it as a daily challenge or something. Yeah. Because now I've got 50 days worth of, of content and I'm telling you content is by far the hardest thing to get yeah and and the I love I'm going to reiterate on that too because there's been content that maybe wasn't purposeful at the time that you're creating it that has done so many things for me I've reused things I've leveraged it I've had an opportunity where this would be perfect in this situation um, it sharpens your writing skills it makes you a better speaker it makes you a better marketer so if you're going to engage in something like that i think that you have to sort of switch on that passion key there's a lot of private label content creators copywriters people you can hire if that's not your passion then don't do it but if it is something that you can get into that practice will make you a better entrepreneur that's my two cents on that (laughs) and especially especially with your messaging the other day i was talking to someone and i go I just said something I think I've written recently. Yeah. And it's because someone will ask you something and you have the answer because in the process of writing it, you, it forces you to refine your ideas and confirm your thinking. Yeah. Uh, and here I am pitching something that, you know, I read off of my blog. I love that. So, uh, <laughs> don't underestimate the power of that. And I tell you what, if writing is not your thing, um, you know, now with phones, you know, record yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're doing this. This is radio. Doing video is so easy now. Mm-hmm. Um, where, um, I mean, I've done some um, video, you know, just things that eventually ended up on my site that I basically did in a lounge chair up by my pool. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it just, you know, hear my thoughts for the day. Yeah. And that could be just the beginning of a bloggish sort of exercise. And video blogs are really taking taking over Facebook live is huge now yeah they are they're taking over um I love that I think that you have the right exact formula going on I know that you know businesses are we've got to be a little bit crazy to be wanting to run them and be entrepreneurs but I think that you take the uh the the balance of your life 
your business, meeting people, being behind the computer. I think you've got a really nice balance of that going on right now. And one of the questions I wanted to kind of finish up with is, I know that you're you're a, a researcher of people, you watch people on social media, and you're also very active on social media. How does that play into your business? And you know, how do you use social media to your greatest advantage? I, if you go to my uh, Facebook, Profile. This is mine, not my company's. Okay. You'll see that, you know, you got this guy named George. He's pretty passionate about his wife and kids. I've got three adult daughters. Um, we love to travel. We drink probably more red wine than we like to admit. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and business. And, and if you don't know that I have an internet marketing business, you're not following my feed. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really an open book, which which I know scares some people. Um, I'm, I'm just ready to get out there. Um, you know, just like if I go to a chamber of commerce and you know I strike up a conversation at a networker and it's kind of like, oh, so what do you do? Well, Friday right about, you know, five o'clock. We're breaking up a bottle of wine. We have friends over. Um, we just went to Italy a couple weeks ago. I still have some leftover Parmesan cheese. <laughs> uh, it, it's who I am, and you know the, the term that you like to use is personality. Mm-hmm. It's it's my personality. It's who I am, and I market my business the same way. So Facebook is is my predominant place. Uh, there's a lot of similar things that we publish onto LinkedIn mm-hmm. uh, because it's it, it's slightly disjointed. Although in a lot of ways, there's a lot of overlap. Um, and, and that's how that's how I go about it. So whether you use, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, you, you know, you've got to find which one works. It does have to be something that you just do. Mm-hmm. You know, I was already on Facebook pretty active. I mean, it was a way to stay up with what the heck my kids were doing. <laughs> uh, and then I started marketing myself with it. So step one is it's got to be a part of what you do because if you try to do, you know, like Facebook or social media some way, it's like, hey, we're going to start marketing our business tomorrow. It's probably not going to work. Mm-hmm. It will die down. You won't develop the relationships that are required, and you won't get any return on it. I agree. I, and I, the executive producer, my executive producer of this Voice America show, Randall Libero, he said something, and I think it really fits into what you're saying. And he said that you always have to be media ready nowadays. And that's because you never know when somebody's going to take a picture of you. You never know when somebody's going to post something online. So it's best that you might as well showcase your personality anyways and just be ready for it because this is the day and age that we live in, right? Well, well I tell you, if someone is is um, Googling me, it's almost like you want to make sure there's enough content out there already so that if some scandal comes <laughs> It'll be hard for people to find it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that. So for those of you who are listening, a couple things. George and I are both going to be at the Infusionsoft conference this coming up week. It's going to be very exciting. That's the partner PartnerCon. We're going to be there from the 4th till the 6th. So we would be very happy if you were around the Scottsdale area and wanted to connect. Um, George is also attending the Pure Potential Speakers Retreat. So if you are a speaker, author, coach, small business owner who's looking to get some help with your internet marketing, and trust me, you need to have people on your side to help you do this because there's a lot of moving pieces. George will be there. And you can also reach out to George through his own uh, websites and social media outlets. So George, why don't you just tell us where they can find you yeah i can be reached at uh, larry jacob there's no s larryjacob.com um that's um the best place to find me if you have to contact us that gets to me fairly quickly 
and be more than happy to, to chat with you. We've also got our phone listed up there and emails if you want to reach us. Right. And you also run a, a blog and you have video interviews. And I like that you call it for gearheads. <laughs> but I think a lot of people can get a lot of value out of learning about the technology. So where can they find your blogs and your, your interviews? Yeah, the, the blog is right off of LarryJacob.com. Okay. Uh, you'll see Larry's blog out there. And uh, you'll see the, the video program with uh, Defining Infusionsoft Success. Uh, we've got the uh, Membership Central and a couple of other uh, channels slash um, oh, columns. And, um, yeah, check us out. Check us out. I suggest you do. The guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Thank you so much, Larry, for, for or sorry, Larry, George. <laughs> Hey, by the way, before we end, why don't you tell talk about that too? Because there is always some confusion between your name and the Larry Jacobs. Give us the quick anecdote because I think it's valuable and funny. Yeah, yeah. My name is Jorge Lazaro Diaz. So, uh, <laughs> Cuban background. So, Jorge is George in Spanish. Right. Jorge is George in Spanish. And um, here in Miami, for some reason, we became George as opposed to like the Puerto Ricans in New York and the Mexicans down south. <sighs> so, I've been George all my life. But my dad's name is Larry, my grandfather's name is Jacob. The Lazaro in my middle name is my dad's first name. No one ever called him Lazaro in English because they can't pronounce it. So he became Larry. And LarryJacobo.com just would not. <laughs> so, uh, the name of the business is LarryJacob.com. So, uh, two men who had a great positive influence in my life. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. I know that people often get your name all mixed up, but you know what? When you say it like that and you say it's because you have these men with the positive influ- influence, I think that's amazing and beautiful. So Larry Jacob and his name is George Diaz. He's amazing. You should check him out. Thank you so much for being here and thank you everyone for listening to the show today. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're tuned into Extreme Exposure, the power of personality marketing. To reach Jackie or her guest today, we invite you to call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, send it to Jackie M at purepotentials.com. Now, back to Extreme Exposure. Welcome. My name is Jackie McClanagan, and today we're going to talk about the viability of your speaking business. So if you're the kind of person who doesn't want to throw up all over your shoes at the thought of public speaking, then using your voice to create a thriving and profitable business is exactly what you need to do. And it can be hard. So I've come up with 10 really short tips that I'd like to share with you today that are going to help you really increase that viability, get your speaking business on track, and get a lot more exposure. But before we jump on into the 10 tips, I want to let you know that if you are a speaker, a coach, or a business owner who uses live and virtual speaking in your business, then my company, Pure Potentials, offers a very intensive, very interactive speakers retreat several times per year in different locations. So if you want to uh, check that out, you can go to the website. That's purepotentials.com. And this isn't just some come and listen and get hyped up type of event. You'll actually be leaving with your speakers, demos, video, media kit, headshots. You'll know 
what tools and technologies that you need to deliver your webinars, your podcasts, your videos, and so much more. So like I said, jump on over to purepotentials.com and click on the events tab and you can check that out there. All right, so 10 really short tips to help you build that speaking business. And uh, I'll jump right in, but because we're humans and we're born with this passion to share and receive acknowledgement and to help others, the speaking profession or using public speaking in your business can be really alluring. And so many people that I've met want to be speakers and they want to gain that expert status and they want to do this to generate revenue. But a very small percentage of these people are successful in this endeavor. And the and why? <laughs> if we want to do this, then why is it so hard? And I'll tell you because there are so many moving parts involved in the speaking industry. It's overwhelming. It can be completely overwhelming and expensive. You need a message. You need the right delivery tools, production tools, and you need a healthy dose of consistent creativity. Creativity cannot be underestimated. It is probably, in my opinion, your most valuable resource. So it's not easy, man, and I feel ya. So because I've been an actor and a speaker and a producer and event promoter for over 20 years, I found some shortcuts that I'm gonna share with you in these 10 tips, okay? So I'm just gonna jump in. <laughs> and the first tip that you need to do if you wanna really increase the viability of your speaking business is you need to develop a sexy list. And what is sexier than list building? <laughs> So when you're thinking about digging out that shoebox of business cards that you've accumulated over the years and setting aside hours to look at who's engaging and who's not in your CRM, then you might be thinking to yourself, I um, think my grandmother's colonoscopy might be a little bit more sexier than your idea for list building. <laughs> I paint a pretty picture here. Um, but it is true. It is absolutely not the most fun thing to do is to clean and manage and care for that list. But if you want that business to work, if you want to be working your speaking business, you need to get your list in order. The second one is speaking of your audience. You must deeply understand your audience and consistently research where they are and what other interests they have. Really important to know them know them very, very well. The third one is to make good content. And this can only happen when you deeply understand the foundations of your message. And it, you must have an array of topics and subtopics that you can speak on around that. So if you're a speaker, I certainly hope you know this already. <laughs> but you know, I'm, you'd be surprised that some people don't, right? It's that message, tweaking it, getting it so that people can really consume what you're trying to say. Let's see, moving on, we have the third thing here which is, or sorry, the fourth thing here <laughs> is creating your production plan. If you're going to be consistently putting together content, you're going to be needing to have some type of a production plan. You have to get out there, get your content produced, and there's so many different ways that people want to do this. Maybe they want to do radio shows or podcasts or, or blogs or videos. You're a speaker, which means you're a writer and a producer because that's what you have to be nowadays to get your message out there. All right. And if you don't have a budget, getting your content produced requires two things, time or money. That's what it requires. You don't have that budget. You don't have money to hire someone or money to buy that fancy equipment. Then there's a lot of different ways that you can get that content produced very inexpensively or for free even. Um, if you don't have a clear overall strategy for your content, like how you're going to get this put out there, and I myself have personally made so many high quality yet completely useless videos because I didn't have a clear vision of the end goals of what my content piece was for. 
So I had to really sit down, look at my production plan, create a strategy of what the end goal of my piece was, and then find a way to get those delivery systems in place, which is the next step. You got to have your websites, your social media platforms, everything ready to launch when you are ready to get that content out there. Number six, you got to know about the upcoming conferences. You want to be a speaker, get your up, uh, get in the know of what conferences are around you and get your speaker's kit, throw that ring into the hat so people know that you are there to be hired. Uh, you got to get your sales pitch. Number seven, get your sales pitch nailed from stage. This isn't that easy. It sounds easy because people think, I'm going to go, I'm going to go up there on stage and I'm going to tell people about my back-end products and services. But you need to practice that almost as much or maybe even more as you need to have your message. It is its own entity. It's really important. Number eight, have a rock solid follow-up, which means that you have to, if you're presenting in front of a group or a company that's paying you to be there, then make sure you follow up. Um, make sure you talk to them because only about 3% of the people ever buy on the first time you give them the offer. You have to consistently build that relationship with them. Number nine, you need to build, speaking of that, build the proper connections and relationships. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little secret right now. I run many events per year. And when I'm looking for the speakers to have at my events, they're generally people that I already know and those who I've developed connections with. And that might irritate you, but let me finish. I also leave that small percentage available for what I like to call new talent. And this simply means that people I don't know very well yet. But these people who I've selected because I have the relationship with them, I know as the event producer that they have the content, they have the systems, they have their sales pitch, they know what they're doing, and they're going to be able to deliver a quality presentation for the audience that I put them in front of. And finally, number 10, you need to get some support and some accountability. I'm not going to lie, building a speaking business requires that you have an abundance of drive and passion. And this can wane from time to time and you're only human. You need to be in the company of those who share your passions and interests. And I have a couple solutions for you here as well. Uh, you can join our, our speaker success group on Facebook, which is um, if you go to the Pure Potentials page on Facebook, my Pure Potentials page, you'll see it there and you can join up to that group. And there you'll get great tips and ideas on how to keep accountable and how to keep growing. You can also go over to Pure Potentials and check out our Speakers Association, where you can get instant access to a library of online courses, templates, where we help you get promoted, where you get a whole slew of information to help you be very, very successful. And finally, you can, and I mentioned this earlier, attend one of our Peer Potential Speakers Retreats. They are really valuable. You leave there with boatloads of information, boatloads of connections, and you get to meet and potential partners, people who can really help you build that business. Thanks for joining us this week on Extreme Exposure, the power of personality marketing. We're here live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your host, Jackie McLennigan, can't wait to bring you another show next week. 